Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Really, it's the end of verse 18 uh, through verse 26. Here's what the scripture says. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, uh, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. All right, we're continuing our uh, study through the book of Philippians. We'll be in uh, Philippians 1, 19 through 26. And the title of the message this morning is No Matter What Joy. No Matter What Joy. Look at uh, the first verse of the section. It's really the last part of verse 18. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. That's what he says. If you were here last week, we reminded each other he's in jail. He's having a hard time. He's really got two options for leaving this prison. He can leave the prison on a gurney going to his burial site, or he can leave the prison a free man. And he doesn't know which way it's going to go. He's probably facing a trial in the coming weeks or months. And his assumption is at that trial, he will either be sentenced to death or he will be freed. And he is saying, yes, I will rejoice. Now look again towards the end of the section. It's, it's uh, it, verse 26. He says this. He says, he wants in me that you might have ample cause to glory in Christ. He is hoping that uh, through his situation and through the work of God, they would gl have glory and joy in Christ in him, whether he died or lived. And so the idea that he is trying to communicate to the folks he's writing to is this. He says, I am going to have joy no matter what. No matter what, joy. Now, I want to be really careful here. We have to be careful what he's not saying. Now, you might have, at some point in your life, had to take one of your children, if you have children or your grandchildren, to a social event that they don't want to go to, maybe a family gathering or something where the kids are really not interested, they don't want to leave the video games or whatever they're doing, and you say, okay, get in the car, we're headed out, and the kids will protest. Um, that's putting it politely, right? They will let you know that they're not terribly excited about going, and you will say something very reasonable, where reasoned calmly, as a matter of fact, say, listen, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna get in the car, we're going to go to this thing, and you're going to like it. You're going to put a smile on your face. You're going to say please. You're going to say thank you. And you are going to, ha to have fun. In fact, if you don't have fun, I cannot tell you the kinds of things that will happen upon our return home. So, and what are the kids doing? It's like, what am I supposed to do here? I'm, I'm supposed to be happy. Like, what, how, you can't be told to be happy. Either you are joyful or you're in trouble. I, I don't... I, well, I guess we're going to go with fake it. 
and, uh, and kids are, are good at that. And thankfully, that's what we really want as parents. We don't really care if you're happy, children. We just want you to appear happy. I'm just letting you know how this... I'm not even going to qualify it. I'm just going to leave that there. Okay, so what we have to understand about biblical joy, Paul in this passage is not talking about no matter what joy in the way we tell our kids to have happiness no matter what. He actually is looking at the options his life is uh, faced with, and he says, wow, these are some great options. These, these are some really good uh, options I've got in front of me. So his joy is not coming out of a stiff upper lip, make the best of a bad situation. What he is doing is he is looking at what's in front of him and going, wow, I've got some really good options out here. I'm not sure which one's the best one. In fact, he does tell us which one is the best one. It's his death, and that seems a little bit strange. So what we have to understand here as we go through this passage is what brings Paul to this place that he has joy no matter what the situations he's facing in spite of the fact that the situations he's facing on the outside look really, really difficult. In fact, we might even say his situation looks really, really, really awful. So how do we have no matter what joy? How do we have that sense of well-being and God is good and he's up to something great no matter what the situation uh, faces? So let's look at the first couple of verses, verses 19 and 20. No matter what joy, the first thing we discover about joy, no matter what the situation is, no matter what joy is a team project. No matter what joy is a team project. Uh, let's just read those uh, first two verses again. Yes, I will rejoice. I know that through your prayers, how does he start? Your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he starts off right away. I'm going to rejoice no matter what, but let me explain. This is a team project. It involves your prayers, and it involves the Spirit of Christ himself. It involves me. This is a team effort to have joy no matter what the situation is. There's a, an obstacle, of course, event that has become extraordinarily popular uh, among uh, people who like obstacle courses. I don't know if any of you have done one of these races. One of the, there are many kinds of them, Spartan races or Tough Mudder. Who's heard of these uh, obstacle course races? None of you? Uh, anybody ha actually done one? Um, obviously, you've showered since then. Um, the idea of these obstacle courses, very long, varying lengths, Tough Mudder uh, obstacle courses are anywhere from one mile to 675 miles, I think. Uh, not really that long, but very long. And then there are obstacles that you face. And the, and the important thing about these obstacles, and the names of some of these obstacles are great. You've got the Mudderhorn. Uh, you've got the Block Nest Monster, uh, one of them. Six feet under, you can imagine uh, what that's like. Uh, one of the obstacles, they have a chain link fence that's right uh, on the surface of the water. And you have to navigate under that chain link fence by coming up for air and breathing through the little fence. Wouldn't that be frightening and yet exciting at the same time? Um, <laughs> Pyramid scheme is another one. Basically, the idea of most of these obstacles, you are not going to get through it unless the team works together to get through it. You're going to be lifting each other over walls, helping each other. There are some events that some team members won't be able to do, and they're going to have to be carried through. It requires the whole team to get through. And the, whole team, and the, and the clock doesn't stop until the whole team has finished. And what the Apostle Paul is telling us about joy in the Christian life, no matter what, it requires everybody working together in the same way. 
no matter the obstacles we face as we go through life, if we want to have joy in the Lord, no matter what, it's going to require a team of people coming together to have joy. What exactly are we doing as a team? Let's look at it. First thing he says, I know that through the, your prayers and the help of the Spirit. The first thing he says that he needs to have joy while in prison is for the other believers in his life to be praying for him. He needs the other believers in his life to be praying for him. He might say it this way. The reason I have joy in prison facing death or facing freedom is because you are praying for me. It is not a passive sort of thing, a, a social media sort of prayers. I hear, I hear you're going through a hard time. Thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, the response should be to that. Listen, you can keep your thoughts. I don't need your prayers. Send those to the guy who can do something with them. I need you to beseech God on my behalf that he will show up because prayer is a thing. Prayer is the most significant thing that you can do to benefit the Christian life of the people around you. Unqualified statement I just made. What did I just say? Prayer is the most significant thing you can do to benefit the Christian life of the people around you. Let me list some things off that are beneficial to people in your life, but not as beneficial as prayer. Number one, telling them what their sin is. Do you need to tell the people in your life what their sin is? Maybe. Odds are they know what it is. Okay, so odds are they're not in the dark about what their sin is. What they might need is for you to pray that they could stop sinning. Think through the course of your Christian life and all the people you have known. How many people stopped sinning a particular way because you told them about the sin that was in their life? I can't think of anybody. How many people have overcome sin in their life because you have dedicated yourself to praying that God might give them victory over that sin? Well, you wouldn't know the answer to that, and we never will, but it is the most significant thing you can do to help someone overcome sin is praying for them. The most significant thing, I'm just, am I gonna, I might just repeat this for about a half an hour. The most significant thing you can do for a Christian in your life to help them know Jesus better is pray for them. The Apostle Paul, he was not a rookie Christian. He's a guy in jail saying death is cool. Okay, so this guy is sort of varsity team, if that's a thing. And he is saying, I will not get through this if you don't pray for me. He needed the prayers of the people in his life in specific ways. God give Paul joy in prison. God help Paul to have boldness to share God, the gospel with his guards. God help Paul not to be discontented with his situation. Specific ways in which we can pray for one another. And, and then he says something that's somewhat astounding. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance or my vindication. Something going on here, just to give you a, a little bit of clear view. He says, your prayers and the help of the Spirit. It's not quite coming out in the English there. He's saying, your prayers and the Spirit. These two things are connected. I, I might be overstating it just a bit, but he's saying this. He's giving us this bit of flavor. The Spirit is helping me 
because you are praying. So there is a connection here between the role of the Holy Spirit, providing Paul what he needs in the moment, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, as he calls him. There's a, a connection between the prayers of his friends in Philippi with the Holy Spirit doing a work for Paul to have joy no matter what. Paul is saying, I am only going to get through this obstacle by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to show up in some degree connected with the prayers you are praying for me. Boy, that puts a lot of burden on the, on the people of Philippi to participate with Paul in his journey through prison. Somebody might come up to you every now and then and they might share with you and you'll strike up a conversation and how's it going and, and you can tell all of a sudden that was the wrong question. You know, yeah, we're going to be here for five minutes or ten minutes. We're going to be here for an hour and at the end of this I'm going to want to send him a bill for being his therapist. You're like, here we go. And then you walk away from that conversation and you go, man, that guy's got issues. Wish he would just, what's his problem? Paul might phrase that a little differently. What would he say? What's my problem? That guy, man, he needs the Holy Spirit like nobody's business because he's got no joy in his situation. And I know from reading the Bible, the manner in which the Holy Spirit is going to interact in his life is connected with my prayer for him. So sometimes when we hear folks who are going through struggles, we need to like shake our head, what's your problem, man? We might need to flip that. What is my problem? I need to be praying for this person. Now, sometimes we feel a little bit lame when somebody shares with us something and then we say, well, I'll pray for you. Two things. Number one, that is not lame. It is lame if you don't. I'll just be honest with you. If you're not going to pray for them, don't. Tell them I'm going to send good thoughts your way. That's fine. And then send good thoughts their way. It's useless, but go ahead. <laughs> so one guy, uh, an author, I can't remember his name, he gave this, I think it's fantastic advice. It, if, if, if someone shares with you and you're going to tell them, I'm going to pray with them, you don't want to be a liar, right? Just real You don't want to be a liar, right? Okay, no, we, no, we don't. Okay, so pray right then so you're covered. So I'm going to pray for you. Let me pray for you right now. Just take five minutes. Let me pray for you right now. And so that way I'm not a liar, but also, that's going to let you know and encourage you, I, I do want to pray with you. Then go home, write something down on a note card, put it on your fridge, put it on the dash of your car, wherever you are, that, okay, I'm going to pray for this person. And that is doing a thing. That is moving the Spirit of God in agreement with God to intervene on behalf of that brother or that sister in the Lord. And that is the work of the ministry. That is the power of the ministry that you might have in the lives of others is to pray for others that the Spirit might intervene uh, on their behalf. Now, I've said this before. I need to just recognize one thing. I used to say, listen, ask somebody if you want to pray with them. Uh, you will never have anybody say no to that, right? Yeah, has it been? Well, it turns out this happened just, it was like a couple of weeks ago. Somebody said no. So now I can't say, can I pray for you? I'm like, no. Great, you just ruined one of my favorite sermon illustrations. So now I have to change it. Most of the time, people will not have a problem with you praying for them. Every now and then somebody will say no, and then don't waste your time. They'll pray for them, or pray for them even when they're not around. So no matter what joy is a team project. Paul is rejoicing because of the work the Holy Spirit is doing in his life by means of the prayers of others. Look what he says. This will turn out for my deliverance. Another way of phrasing that 
would be my vindication. What he is saying is, I am going to be vindicated. I will be shown to be in the right that Jesus is Lord, whether I am ex executed or whether I am set free. And he is, so he is taking joy in the fact that he is going to be vindicated and Christ is going to be honored no matter what happens. Good things happen. If I die, then I am vindicated and shown that I show Christ as Lord because I am then going to be with Christ. Yet if I am set free, that means ongoing future ministry with others for Christ's glory. Look at the last verse, verse 20, and then we're going to move on to the second part of this. As it is my eager expectation that I will not be ashamed but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So his goal is that Christ would be made known to be honored and glorified, whether his outcome was execution or his outcome was freedom. And in that moment, for him to have that reliance and that joy in the Lord, it required him to trust the Spirit to give him the power to do that. He is relying on people praying for him. He is relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to allow him in that moment to maintain his courage and not be ashamed. Maintain his courage and have fidelity and truth to the gospel, even to the end, whatever that end uh, might be. One little thing before we move on to verse 21. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve made a mistake. And the mistake was, the sin was, they ate the fruit that God had told them was forbidden. Now, the primary problem wasn't that this was a particular bad kind of fruit. The issue was the relationship between God and mankind was ruined because they chose a disobedience over relationship with God. And another important aspect of this, they wanted self-reliance over reliance on God. In the Garden of Eden, God had provided everything they might need for life. But they knew if they took from this one tree, they could ever, everything they might need for life without having to go through God. And so it's a mistake, it's a sin of self-reliance. Boy, life would be really nice if I could just rely on me, myself, and I. And what we have to discover in Paul's discussion here of no matter what joy in prison we must not make in our Christian life the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden, which is the mistake of self-reliance. The job of the Christian life is not to buck up and make the best of it and just stay strong. The job of the Christian life is to rely on God and to rely on one another. It is a team activity. Self-reliance is not a marker of, I'm a good Christian because I'm self-reliant. Mutual reliance on one another and the Holy Spirit is a marker of growing maturity in the Lord. Don't make the mistake in the Christian life that Adam and Eve made in the garden and thinking that the Christian life is a deal of self-reliance. It is a team project. No matter what joy is a team project. Secondly, look at verse 21 through 24. <clears throat> Excuse me. No matter what joy is built on Jesus Christ himself. Let me read again just... Verses 21 through 24. Paul says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And he is saying this, to have joy in this moment, no matter what, life or death, it is built on Christ alone. Now, if, if you're a, a, a soldier and if you're in a, a war situation, you find yourself in the foxhole, you find yourself on the battlefield, and you're fighting and the skirmish is strong and the violence is real, and you might say to yourself, boy, I would prefer not to be here. But if you're a soldier and you're loyal to the soldiers you're serving with, if somebody came up to you, hey, do you want to leave the battle and leave your friends here? A good soldier could say, no way, nobody gets left behind. We're all in this until we're all in this and we're done together. And so a soldier on the battlefield is going to say, no, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here even though this is a hellish situation that we happen to be in. Now, on the other hand, the war ends, come home, and the soldier is home and enjoying the uh, peace time. If somebody came up to that soldier then in peacetime at home and said, hey, would you like to go back to the war? And his answer is going to be, not really. Not really. This is better. And, what, and, and what, they're, what Paul is talking about here is this same kind of notion. His idea is, I want to serve Christ where he would have me. Right now, he has me on the battlefield. And it's hard. It's joyous work, but it's difficult work. And if he were to call me home into peacetime and gentle pastures and rest, hey, I'll take that. But either way, whether I am going to stay in conflict or I'm going to be called home to rest, my joy is connected to the person of Christ himself. Joy in life or having joy after death is reliant on Christ himself. He is the focus not the situations we uh, find ourselves in. In fact, I would say it this way. The only way this section of Scripture makes any sense is if Paul himself is completely devoted to and completely drawn to Jesus Christ. The only way this makes any sense is if Paul is completely devoted to and completely drawn to Jesus Christ, his Savior. Jesus, for Paul, is not a theological perspective. Jesus, for Paul, is not a moral code. Jesus, for Paul, is not a political position. Jesus is who Jesus is. God himself, come as a man, died on the cross, risen from the dead, and Paul has met him in person, and all Paul wants to do from that time on is be with Jesus. And some of us say... Well, that sounds strange. It sounds strange. Some of us are guys or a little bit hyper-masculine. It sounds weird to be that connected to another dude. Get over it. He is the creator of the universe. There is no one on in the universe you would rather be with than Christ himself if you were to see him. And this is Paul's perspective. He said, I just want to be with Jesus. Not to sound sacrilegious, but his point would be, that guy is awesome. Why would I want to be anywhere else? Now, if Jesus is going to be with me in battle, I'll stay in battle. Sounds good. Jesus is going to be there. I'm all in. Jesus wants me to leave the battlefield and come home. See ya. I'm out. But his point is, where is Jesus with me? He is completely devoted and completely drawn to the person of Christ. We must understand this. 
about what the Bible is teaching us about God's plan for humankind. Jesus did not come to earth as a man to give us the best possible religion we could find. Oh, my lands. Jesus came to earth as a man to die for us that we might have a relationship with him the kind that we had lost by disobeying him. He just wants to be with us in relationship. The only way for that to occur is for our sin to be washed away. We put our faith in him, and our sin is washed away. We can now have a relationship with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we, before we couldn't even have connection with him whatsoever. And Paul is saying the draw of the Christian life is Christ. Not to put too fine a point on it, but we have to understand, what do you want to get out of your Christian life? Have you even thought about that? I mean, now that I mention, I'm not sure if I have. Maybe I should think of these questions before I get up here. What do you want to get out of your Christian life? Maybe you're a parent. See, what I want to get out of my Christian life is my kids grow up and don't make the same mistakes I did. No, I, want, I don't want your kids to make the same mistakes you did. I mean, because those were terrible. No, I mean, those were, no, I'm kidding. I don't know your mistakes. I know mine. I don't want my kids to make the same mistakes I did. But really, Jesus came to heaven, from heaven to earth, died on the cross, so my kids might not make my same mistakes. I buy a parenting book to figure that out. That's not a goal of the Christian life, is for me to have good kids. Is the goal of the Christian life to have a good marriage? I, I want you to have a good marriage. Of course I do, but it's, having a good marriage is challenging. Why is having a good marriage so hard? Now, if you're thinking about your spouse right now, you may, that's a problem, right? Yeah, I'll tell you why a good marriage is hard. Now, that's wrong. You've got problems, okay? You need to make an appointment and see Pastor Jeff because I can't help you. <laughs> Why does it have a good marriage? Because it's two sinners, two people who the entire planet is about them. Yeah, that makes being married kind of hard. And so the, the goal of the Christian life, Jesus died on the cross so you could have a good marriage. I don't think so. I think there's something bigger at play than being a good employee, being a good parent, being a good grandparent, being a good citizen, knowing how to vote knowing what the top 10 sins I'm supposed to avoid are. There's something more at play, and Paul gets it. Locked in a prison, nothing else to do but hang out with Jesus, his response was, sounds like a good day. If our Christian life is about anything other than a complete devotion to Christ himself, we're missing it. Whatever that other thing might be, the point of the cross and the open tomb was we could have a relationship with Jesus whether we are here or whether we die and go and be with him forever. And this is Paul's perspective. I have to tell you this. This is a little bit kooky. The problem with this is there is no sort of halfway version of relationship with God here. There's no sort of halfway, I want to do Christ at church sort of thing here. Having joy no matter what is only possible when my Christian life is focused on knowing Jesus himself because he washed away my sin. That's where Paul's root here is. He says, for me to live, that's Christ. If I'm to stay in planet earth, Paul says, then I get Jesus while I'm here. To die is gain, not because he wants to die, he's in some kind of despair, because now he's going to be in Christ in an even closer context, that is eternity. He says, if I live on, it means I get to continue to have fruitful labor for Christ. 
Which way should I go? Should I stay here? Well, that's up to God in the end. He said, I'm going to let God do what he's going to do. But I am okay with whichever. In fact, if God were to take my life right now, the better of two things will have happened. But if he leaves me here for the time being, then I will continue in fruitful ministry to others. Why does Christ allow us to live another day, according to Paul? Check things off the bucket list. Make sure we get those things done we're really hoping to get done. We have some successes we haven't quite hit yet. Paul says the only reason he has another day on planet Earth is fruitful ministry for Christ. The reason God is going to give us one more day today is that we might spend a little more time praying for our families, praying for our friends, praying for our coworkers. One more day to open the Bible up and see what Jesus is like in the here and now. This was Paul's perspective. And that may seem a little bit extreme to you and to me, but there's no other way to have no matter what joy. There's no other way. To live for Christ is fruitful ministry. To die is to be with Christ and to enter his life or to enter his rest uh, forever. All right. No matter what joy is built built on Christ alone. Maybe I've kind of hammered that nail a little bit too hard. No, I don't think so. Um... I might say it this way, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I was wrong. I think it was last Tuesday. Um, to the degree that we're not experiencing joy, and, and if you're a Christian awake today, you've got that to some degree. There's a certain level of discontentedness in your life uh, and not sureing what is going on in your life. So if we're looking at our heart and we're saying, there's a certain level in my own heart where I'm missing joy, um, that reveals a certain level in our heart that's not focused on Christ. Because to have Christ as the foundation of our heart settles our heart in joy, because we have Christ holy. So the question isn't, how do I get Jesus over here into my situation so I can experience his joy? The question is, how do I get my heart and mind settled on that Christ is enough, even in this awful situation? What do I need to do? How does the Holy Spirit need to engage in my heart? What do I need to confess and repent to the Lord that I might experience the joy of the presence of Christ himself even in this situation which in many ways is broken and difficult and hurt? What the, our, our flesh and our kind of sinful nature does for us is we're convinced I will be happy when I finally get what I want. And it's hard to not uh, believe that. Um, we, we use, uh, in our house, we have te television. Anybody else have a TV, get one of these things? They're pretty cool. Um, but we use the um, rabbit ears. I don't know if anybody calls them that. We don't have the cable. Uh, but So we got these two rabbit ears. And uh, to get football on Fox, I got to turn it this way. And to get NBC Monday night or Sunday night football, I got to turn it the other way. And then sometimes the signal's not coming in right, and so I'll get kids to stand in various places in the room. <laughs> if I get it, okay, nobody move. Two hours, you just stand there. Okay, and, and when you're doing this with the, with the rabbit ears, it's funny how frustrated you can get. Okay, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but some of you do. You get to a place you're on. No, no, I'm not kidding. You say, if this, if this signal will come in clear, I am going to be so happy because I can just sit down and 
chill. So, and this is, but this is how we approach our entire life. If this will just work, every, then everything will finally just be fine. Everything will just be clear, and I can just chill. Anything that is not Christ will not scratch the itch the way we think it will. We just have to grapple with that in our heart. Whatever that thing is that we think is going to finally make everything okay, the Bible is crystal clear. If that thing is not Jesus, it just simply won't. And if you don't believe me, try it and see how it works. The lack of joy in our life is often a result of the fact that we're just simply pursuing our self-interests and Christ is the search of our joy. Okay, no matter what joy is a team project, no matter what joy is uh, built on Christ, and finally, verse 25 and 26, no matter what joy is contagious. Convinced of this, Paul says, verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. How are they going to have joy? From Paul. He's saying your progress and joy in the faith is going to come from him, he says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Um, Whatever you have, you're going to share. So this is cold and flu season. Some of us have had the joy of already grappling with uh, whatever the the cold and flu uh, is this year. And the fact is, generally, uh, what you have, uh, you're going to share. Anybody else go to work, and that one guy, he just won't stay home sick, and you just want to slice his his, uh, tires on his car, Stay home, dude. We don't want your bubonic plague. Okay, good. You can work through it. Go home. The problem is, at my office, that's me. Um, and everybody's like, what do you do? I know. Todd's like, yeah, seriously. We're all going to get sick because you won't stay home. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Um, uh, so it, no matter what joy is contagious, whatever you have, you're going to share. If you have joy in Christ... There is no stopping it. You're going to share the joy of Christ with the people around you. If you don't have the joy in Christ, congratulations, you're going to share whatever you have with the people around you. Whatever we have is going to be shared. The question is not whether or not we are going to share what we have with others. The question is what are we going to share? And what Paul is challenging himself with, having his heart settled on Christ, he wants his joy to contagiously infect the people of Philippi, no matter what joy is contagious. To have joy is not the end. The end of my joy in Christ is not just for me to have a sense of well-being. The end, the way Christ is glorified in the joy that he gives you is for that joy to impact others. For your joy in Christ to be shared with others around you. When you share the difficulties of your life and how you are able to have joy in those situations because of Christ, when people can see and observe the strength in your life through Christ and joy can uh, impact and be shared with them. This is why this is a team effort. You're praying for somebody else, that God might do a work on their life. Their life goes through a living hell and you see God provide them strength and they're given joy and the joy that they have is a result of your prayer and then their joy is shared with you. Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly how this is supposed to work. A body of believers praying and sharing in their joy in Christ together. He is convinced. In fact, he is, Paul is saying he understands the will of God is he is going to continue ministering to the people of Philippi. And so that's why he is convinced he will be released from prison that he might share in their uh, joy. 
joy is a product of getting on board with what God is doing, not trying to get God on board with what we want him to do. So what Paul is, is doing is he is convinced of what God's purpose is for his ministry to the people of Philippi, and he's saying, I'm okay with, God, with what God is up to, and I'm going to have joy in that. God is going to leave me here for a little bit longer. I'm going to be able to minister to the people of Philippi for a little bit longer. At some point, he's going to call me home. Paul didn't die much longer after this book was written. Maybe maybe, four, maybe six years tops after the book of Philippians was, was written. So he is, his joy was a product of what is Christ doing, and I am okay with what Christ is doing. So you might say, well, how do I know what Christ is doing? So think about your life. What is Christ doing in your life right now? You say, well, I don't know what he's doing. I think he might be on vacation. Oh, think about that, that big thing. We've talked about this. What's that thing? You just, what is this all about? You've got to go to the doctor. Or somebody in your family isn't behaving right. It might be you. I don't know. Things are getting sideways, and you're going, what's this about? Now my life is all tossed up in the air. What a pain. They say, what is, Christ, what is Christ doing? He's giving you stuff in your life that's kind of a pain. And he's, he's going to use those events by the power of the Spirit to draw you closer to him. What Christ is up to is just look at your life right now. He is up to whatever your life is right now. The question is not, how do I get my life into wherever Christ is? The question is, how do I say, this is my life right now. This is what God has called me to is this moment. Can I find my joy in Christ in this moment? The answer is probably not. How are you going to find the joy of Christ in this moment? Somebody else in this room needs to be praying for you that you might find the joy of Christ in this moment. So you say, well, how in the world are they going to know to pray for me? Is that what you were asking? You weren't? That, now you are. Well, how are they going to know? This is what's astounding. You may have to have a conversation with somebody. I know this is surprising. Now, Start writing notes. Wait, I talk to people at church? I may have to come to church not to convince everybody I'm awesome, but to tell them I'm not so that they might pray for me that I might have joy even though my life is a train wreck. Well, that doesn't sound like church at all. That's the problem. Church is where a group of people come together. We've said this before. I'm going to repeat it. Coming to church is an admission publicly your life is a train wreck. If you don't need Jesus, what are you doing here? I think there's football. So you've already admitted you need something you can't provide because you showed up here today. You might as well find somebody you know halfway decent and say, guess what, I need you to pray for me this week because I am not having any kind of joy. And the only way I'm going to have a joy, according to this scripture here, is if you pray for me and the Holy Spirit shows up and helps me to have joy. Can we team up on this? And this is what we have to do. This is why we have things like home groups and adult Bible classes so we can get out of the big group setting and you might know a couple of people well enough that you can show up on a Sunday and say, guess what? This was one of those weeks where I agree with Paul to die is gain. I need you to pray for me. I am not going to make and permission on this somebody because there's a few of us in who are who are armchair therapists we're going to say well you know what you need to do permission are you ready huh? no. i came to you to do the do i didn't come to you to tell me what to do i came to you to tell you what to do i need you to pray for me i don't need your to-do list i got those got to-do list coming out my ears 
Are you going to pray? Yes or no? Because if not, I'll find some other guy. He said, well, that's rude. You just said to die is gain. You don't need uh, polite. You need somebody who's going to fight for you right now because you need the Holy Spirit to show up and give you joy like nobody's business. So get that person. What happens on Tuesday if I'm not having any joy? Call them up. Are you praying? You think I'm kidding? Have you met Paul? This is the guy. Are you praying? Yeah, because it's not working. I'm going to need you to step that up a little. You think I'm kidding? So, of course, you should ask somebody you know pretty well, you know, because you're going to offend them. But remember, this is to die is gain. You want joy in this moment. We're not playing. We're not playing religion. I want you to pray. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to respond. Let's do this. Let's do this together. Get with others. Get on board and find out how God can provide us no matter what joy. I'm not asking you to pray that God would change my stuff. I'm asking you to pray that God would give me joy in the middle of this stuff. Okay, a couple of quick things. I've already gone longer than I wanted to. Um, Well, we just mentioned this. No matter what joy, it is gained by Christ in others through me. It is gained by Christ in me through others. If you want no matter what joy, joy in your life, regardless of what's going on, it requires a, a... a three-person team minimum. You, the Holy Spirit, someone praying. That's, if, I'm looking, if I'm reading the Bible right, and I'm pretty sure I am, if you think I'm not, that's fine. You can be wrong. Um, it's you, to have joy is not you going home and must, okay, I've got to be happy. got to be happy. It's you saying, I can't be happy. Joy ain't going to happen. I need that guy to pray for me so that the Spirit might move and provide me joy. And if they're praying and you're not having joy, get more people. Because they probably got unconfessed sin in their life. Get somebody who's sinning not as bad. Something. Just keep finding it. Listen, I tell you what. You seek joy in the Lord, you're going to find it. You say, I'm not even worried about it. Secondly, no matter what joy is completely focused on Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, and friend. The joy you will find is not when your stuff is fixed. The joy is found when you discover Christ is good enough even in the middle of that stuff. That's where your joy is going to come from. Joy in the Bible is 100% focused on Christ being that awesome. And that's what we're seeking to have is Jesus show up in his word by his spirit enough that we say, wait, I can live with this because I got Jesus. No matter what joy is gained by others seeking, no matter what joy together, and no matter what joy is contagious. One of the ways you can seek joy is hang out with people who have it. You say, well, should I exclude people who don't? No, just pray for them. And then maybe a little, yeah. If you need joy, find some people who have joy. Now, I'm not saying find people who have a perfect life. I have have found over the course of time People who have joy in the Lord are not people with good lives, generally. They just have found the Lord in the middle of the stuff. And those are good people to hang around with. Find those people, because it's contagious and you want to catch what they have. Finally, there is no way to have joy without the Holy Spirit. There is no way to have the Holy Spirit if you are in your sin. And the only way to be free from your sin is to admit you're a sinner and say, Jesus, save me. There is no way to have joy without a relationship with Christ. There's no way to have a relationship with Christ 
without admitting you're a sinner and trusting him to forgive you. If you're here without Christ, I got nothing for you but Jesus. I got no 10 steps to a happy life. I got one step to a happy life. His name is Jesus. He's pretty awesome.